from The Advocate magazine in partnership with Vlad. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ and A. There's a quote in Jen Winston's new book that I love. I'm going to read it. It says, Bisexuality isn't just an identity. It's a lens through which to reimagine the world. You know, we live in a world of binaries. Man and woman, good and bad, black and white. And yet, as we're beginning to learn as a society, none of these binaries actually exist. As just one example, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know by now that there is more to gender than just two. And that is also the case with sexuality. You see, for all the progress we've made around being queer in the last 5, 10, 50 years, the bi community has not enjoyed that same level of visibility, that same level of progress. There is still a massive amount of misunderstanding when it comes to the bi experience, and that is the case despite bisexuals being the largest percentage of the LGBTQ community. So today we're tackling all of this with Jen Winston. Their new book is called Greedy, Notes from a Bisexual Who Wants Too Much, and it's out now. Oh, I have to say, I like that you start the book with a content warning for literally everything. Yeah, I actually like vacillated back and forth whether I was going to do that. I found that what it did was it helped me not use trauma as a plot point, I realized when I put it in there, because it like spoils the fact that there's going to be like something bad in the chapter. So like in the chapters about sexual assault, like when I set out to write those chapters, like I was thinking of it from a plot perspective, like, oh, and then there's going to be a sexual assault. That's going to be the climax of the chapter. And I was setting it out that way. But then I put the content warning in and I was like, oh, this is like has been spoiled. So now I have to think more critically, which actually pushes you as an artist because you shouldn't really use trauma as a plot device. So I kind of caught my own biases while writing it in that sense. Oh, so then you're not like building suspense and then like the payoff is like a sexual assault. And you're like, oh, this doesn't feel good. Yeah. And I'm really glad that it helped me avoid that because I, I was totally going that direction. And then the content warnings made it not a surprise anymore. You know, actually, can we jump into talking about yeah. sexual assault just right off the bat? Sure. <laughs> because you, this is a really well-researched and well-cited book. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. One of the things that I learned is that you said that uh, bisexuals have a higher rate of sexual assault and substance abuse also. Mm-hmm. I know there's not like an easy one, two, three answer there, but like in your research, did it come up why that is? Not overtly. That's the short answer. I couldn't really find anything that talked about the causation of it. And it took me a really long time to kind of sit with those numbers and realize that when we get statistics about identity, they're often presented in a correlation form. For example, like the very upsetting fact that LGBTQ plus youth experience homelessness at a higher rate. Like, you don't need to tell me why necessarily. Like, I can put together all the sociological factors that might result in that, you know, and it's a variety of things, not just one thing. But with these stats about bisexuality, they were so shocking to me because I couldn't figure out why. I was like, what? Bisexuality doesn't seem like a big enough deal to, like, cause this outcome. But then I realized, like, oh, that's my internalized biphobia. And, like, of course it's a big enough deal. Like, of course it's actually causing people to kind of have mental health 
challenges and anxiety. There's a bunch more like devastating statistics like this about the bi community that I didn't put in the book. Like bisexual people are experiencing like huge mental health challenges. The New York Times just did like an expose on this. Compared to other groups in the queer community. Specifically compared to lesbian and gay um, identities. Yeah. I mean, it just really blew my mind because I don't think I ever saw my bisexuality as valid enough to warrant those types of results. But then when I looked at my lived experience, I was like, oh yeah, like I put myself in all these vulnerable sexual scenarios because I was trying to figure out what was going on. I drank a lot because I felt anxious and I'm not very much an anxious person, but in most sexual scenarios, I felt anxious especially anything that was like queer adjacent. I was like, oh my God, I need to get wasted. <laughs> so That's yeah. such an interesting point though, because we can like flippantly say that like everyone's bi and like, or bisexuality doesn't matter. No one cares. But to you, it's like, no, there's actually real world costs. Yeah. And I think the term everyone is bisexual, it's my favorite thing to point out is actually kind of a microaggression against bi people. Yeah. Because it implies that, if, if everyone's bisexual, no one is bisexual and it's not worth talking about and it doesn't matter. And I've already gotten so many people responding to my book who've been like, I had no idea my sexuality was worth writing a book about. And I think that that's so fascinating because like, same. <laughs> and so when they say that, it actually validates me, which is like a really nice thing about getting these messages. But it's so often dismissed as something that we need to talk about, which is why I wanted to tell my story, but also look at bisexuality as like a lens, a political lens, because I think as an idea, it can be really helpful for all of us to kind of grasp. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because you wrote down this. Bisexuality is not just an identity. It's a lens through which to reimagine the world. So for everyone, just can you explain like what you mean by that, about like reimagining the world? Yeah, my bisexuality, I I really came into and embraced my bisexuality kind of in parallel with understanding, like unlearning about binary systems in general. Essentially, when I was unlearning my binary thinking outside of my sexuality, it helped me understand my bisexuality. And then when I understood my bisexuality, I was able to look at the world through a less binary lens in that way. And I especially applied that to my gender and I'm getting more comfortable saying this out loud, but I identify as non-binary and it's still weird, but- Why is it weird? It's just, well, it's weird because I have imposter syndrome around it, but my bisexuality is what really gave me the tools to be like, you can identify however you want. It's yours to own and it's just for you. And like, I I try not to take up like a lot of space in like as a non-binary person online, but it's definitely something that I'm like continuing to figure out. Well, I think that like it took you, I don't, I don't say very long because I don't want to say like comparison of like short or long, but it took you a while to like get to know and name your sexuality. Yeah. It sounds like you're just like on the exact same process about gender. Yes. And I think I'm more comfortable with naming the process of being in the questioning phase because of bisexuality. Like the thing with regards to bisexuality as a social lens, I learned so much from the work of Shiri Eisner, who's a bisexual theorist and activist, and they wrote a book called Notes for a Bisexual Revolution that I just plug constantly because it was really formative for me. And what Shiri talks about that kind of blew my mind is the idea of bisexual confusion. And Shiri calls bisexual confusion a destabilizing act of social change. Or something like that. Roughly. That might, roughly. But I found that so empowering. And for the first time, I was like, oh, my God, I 
have a cool identity. <laughs> like for the first time, I felt proud to be bi. Well, I think that with that, like, quote unquote, confusion or just the questioning, I think it's so important to have those discussions in public because something about the coming out process, Mm -hmm. it like makes our identities like definitive. I am gay and I'm certain of it when really we're not certain of like many things. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, not to like relate everything to politics, but like we live in this like polarized system where like we need to have a strong opinion about everything. Donald Trump is all bad. Biden is all good. And both things are not true. But like, I think it's okay to say like, you know, I don't know my opinion on yeah. this yet. Did you see that tweet that was like, normalize changing your mind when you receive new information on something? No, but that's like the better way of saying what I just said. It's like, <laughs> I mean, I think about that tweet all the time because that's really like, that. I think that's what unlearning is, is like, oh, I didn't know this. I'm not ashamed of that. Now I know. And now I feel this way. And like that can be a continual lifelong process. And I think another misconception about bisexuality is that it endorses the gender binary. And that was another reason I didn't want to like say the word out loud because I was like, I don't endorse the gender binary personally. And so I was like, I can't identify as this. But the word pansexual didn't really hit me the right way. And the word queer didn't feel like strong enough, I guess. I was like, I don't deserve that. And so bisexual still felt really right for me. And it wasn't until I did a bunch of research on the history of the movement that I realized it's always been really gender expansive and gender inclusive. And then one other thing on your mentioning like coming out and saying the word out loud, that makes me think about bi-representation, which is a whole other like can of worms because so often on TV and like in in movies, characters are portrayed as like showing bisexuality, like they'll behave it by like hooking up with someone, usually while they're like married, they'll like married to a man, a woman married to a man will like hook up with another woman and then like have a breakdown. Like that's typical by representation or they're murderers. That's another like trope. I find that so rarely do they even use the term bisexual or claim it. And that made me think, back to the everyone is bisexual, no one is bisexual. Like, it's just a thing. It's just a behavior. So there's no need to talk about it because otherwise you're just like talking about your sex life. And we really have not had like an ellen size coming out moment or like a Will and grace size TV show for bisexuality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think that it is complicated because a man and a woman on a red carpet, they could both be bi, yeah. but like there is a like invisibility to bi-ness in the way that if I'm on a red carpet holding hands with a man, you kind of can like assume he's queer. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's tricky in that way. And even like in that context, like I wouldn't know if you were bi. I've started just like asking people like, are you bi? Are you bi? I guess. I should ask you. I'm not. Okay. Well, I wouldn't have known, you know, and I think I have needed to see the word in media so much and it feels cheesy. Like I get that as a writer, I understand like show don't tell. Like I understand that you're not supposed to like be that on the nose with stuff, but that's kind of the game with bisexuality. Like you have to. You have to use the word. Yeah. For sure. Do you find that you, like when you're in queer spaces, you're like making it a point to like broadcast your queerness so that people don't think you're just like a fun straight girl? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I've literally been doing that forever. And I think for a while, I went with the idea that that's bi privilege. And that's a big thing that non-bisexual people say about the bi community is that we're seeking straight privilege. But ultimately, like, you can you can have heterosexual presenting privilege when you're in a relationship that like presents as as straight but you're still closeted and invisibility takes a different toll on you so it like has to be acknowledged as well yeah 
So we often like dress ourselves to like when we're single most often to like be attractive, to be desired. Mm-hmm. And yet, like to use the gender binary, I like as one example, a lot of like my female friends say that like men are not attracted to women with short hair. Different genders uh-huh. are into different things. Like, were you purposely like crafting your presentation to like have the broadest appeal possible? <laughs> I mean, totally. I'm so glad you asked that because it it does, it comes down to all these like nitty-gritty things where you're like, how am I looking tonight? Like, in a way, you have to think about your I I mean, I guess all queer people have to do this. Like um, one of my bi male friends is like trying to figure this out right now. He's like, do I need to start wearing mesh to like signify that I'm queer in queer spaces? Like he's been having trouble being seen by both straight and gay spaces. I was like, I'm just going to keep dating men. Like I'm going to keep doing like the quote unquote straight thing because otherwise I have to open up this whole can of worms and come out and stuff. And like, I'm okay dating men. And often coming out can just, like, make you feel more like yourself, you know? It's like, that's what it's about. But people don't feel like they should come out unless they want to, like, act on it. And so a lot of bi people in relationships stay closeted. Did you experience that as well? Kind of. I think, like, everyone I ever dated, like, knew that I was, like, at least, like, curious. Because I think I played it up as, like, a fetish a lot of the time. Like, I was like, you want to see me, like, hook up with a girl, you know, etc. But I did date the aforementioned bisexual man. (laughs) We dated, and we're, like, very good friends. I didn't realize until very recently that that was a queer relationship because we were both bisexual and queer. And, like, because of our genders, because we presented as a straight couple— I didn't think of it as a queer relationship, which shows how much gender just, like, dictates everything. And so going back to that, like, quote-unquote invisibility of bias, mm-hmm. where you have to label it, do you find that you're, like, constantly having to out yourself in that oh, way? Oh, yeah. That's, like, why I wrote this book. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. Like, the book is very affirming to me to see it. I'm like, yep, you're bisexual, Jen. But, like, honestly, I came here today with cuff jeans, which is, like, a stereotype of bi culture. Uh, and sometimes I have a fake nose ring. And I think... There are a lot of things like that that and and all queer people do this, but there are things like that that I have deemed bisexual in my mind, and I'm like, I'm doing a bisexual behavior. But yeah, I all I talk about on the internet is being bisexual. It's like I'm I'm at this point I'm a little like exhausted with it, but I do really love it because a lot of people are surprised I could write a whole book about it because they didn't, you know, realize that bisexuality has all these like different effects on people, but also that it's such a a political identity and that it challenges binaries in so many ways. Early on in the book, before you'd really got to know your bisexuality well, you wrote that you felt like if you kept dating men, then no one would believe that you're actually queer, least of all yourself. I thought that was so interesting because during this time you were experiencing sexual attraction to like other genders and yet still you were not like interpreting that as queerness. Like, can you talk about what was going through your mind during that? It's almost challenging to discern queer attraction, if not for like the lack of attraction to what society tells you to be attracted to. I was like, I know that I like am not straight. And I knew that I was bisexual. That word always hit me like the right way. It made me feel affirmed. But I was ashamed of of the word itself. That sentence that you just read is actually even after I've come out. A guy was asking me to go on a date, but I'd just come out as bi. And I was like, oh, God, do I do this? Like, I just came out. Like, I don't want to keep dating men. But I also did like this guy, kind of, in like a a fuckboy way. If we're talking about like doubting your sexuality, like when did that go away? If it did. 
I don't think that I – th- I think part of it was, like, I never was able to have a good sexual experience with a queer person because I had so much self-doubt and imposter syndrome in those spaces. After I came out, I was like, enough is enough. Like, start having, like, some bad sex so you can, like, get to some good sex eventually. I think I was feeling very affirmed in my sexuality right when I met my current partner. So I wouldn't credit them entirely, although they would be like— it's me. It's me. It's me who did it. But I was feeling very secure in myself by that point. And I think that's why we hit it off because I was confident on our date. While we're talking about sex, do you mind if I talk about your sexual assault for a second? Sure. Go back to that? Yeah. I just think it's really specific. So you write about um, being raped by someone you knew. And then you just talk that you went to talk to him, he apologized, and you slept together again. I really appreciate those details because I think that we can like use this like broad like wash of trauma and this is horrible. And it was without talking about how like complicated our individual responses can be to experiencing that. I think like the fact that you like slept together again like would surprise people. Can you talk about like what was with your mind at that point? Yeah, I mean, really, I was, at that moment, I was learning so much about restorative justice and I really wanted to apply it to my own life. Like, I was so excited about it, but I did not intend to sleep with him the second time. It just happened because he was super hot and, like, charismatic. And I think that my overarching goal with this book is to be, like, sometimes we're not the perfect intersectional feminist who's, like, applying restorative justice principles to their own life in a stern way and then, like, setting firm boundaries. And even the title, Greedy, is, like, intended to be, like, you don't have to be the perfect bisexual to be a valid bisexual. I guess I appreciate it that you, like, went into those details because there is no, like, quote-unquote right or wrong response to being assaulted. And I think that we can, like, often paint it like there is. Yeah. Well, actually, my editor, in my first drafts of that chapter, my editor was like, uh, make it clear that you that you shouldn't be blaming yourself because I was really blaming myself in the first chapters. And I think I that was like probably one of the only chapters I like cried while writing. Like it was harder. For some reason, I thought it would be so easy. Like I thought I'd already dealt with it. But what I had actually done was just like pushed it aside and been like, I'm going to write an essay about this someday and like deal with it then. And that's what I had to do. The stat about bisexuals experiencing a higher rate of sexual assault, was that something you knew at that time or did you learn after the fact? I learned it after the fact, yeah. I I learned that stat, like, since I've been in a long-term, my current long-term relationship. And so I didn't know that stat, like, throughout my life. I I wish I had learned it during the Me Too movement. I might have even heard it then and been like, oh, well, whatever. It doesn't mean anything because I would have dismissed it because of all my internalized biphobia. And I totally understand that, like, when we do trivialize bisexuality, we do ignore how it, like, affects our lives. Yeah. I think that's a really easy thing to just assume. Yeah. I mean, I definitely thought that the first time I saw those stats. Another thing is that, like, bisexual men on on average make less money than gay men or straight men. Really interesting. And, like, I don't know why that is. Part of it might be that the bi identity is so sexualized for all genders. So to bring it up in a work environment is really challenging. Something else that I find interesting reflecting on is like the idea of bars, like like gay bars and lesbian bars have always kind of been symbols of those movements, but bisexual bars don't really exist. If you think about like bars as kind of defining the existence of these communities, like it's no wonder the bi community is, is relatively invisible. I think that lack of a physical community has been a big part of bi erasure. 
Was your first time at a gay bar, like, after you had to come out? Like, was that a big moment? No. I mean, I had, like, I think the majority of my friends are gay or bisexual men. And, like, that's always been the case. And so I thought I was just, like, a straight girl who, like, tagged along with them. And then I, my first, like, queer sex experience, which did not go great, which made me think I was straight. I think that's a queer tradition, though. Yeah, I know. But sometimes, you know, it happens with someone you know, and they can, like, forgive you. The first one I had was, like, not enjoyable. And I was like, oh, well, this means I don't like this. And I just wrote it off. But then I was like, oh, I'm going to have threesomes. For some reason, that didn't strike me as queer, even though inherently every single threesome is queer. I found that also to be really interesting while writing this book. I was like, wow, I really thought I was straight. But I was having like so many threesomes, humble brag, um, during this time. That's such a common thing, too, where like you've one bad sexual experience and you're like, oh, I guess I'm not gay. Yeah. You know, I didn't like it. Yeah, it was so circumstantial. Like in hindsight, there are a number of reasons that that happened. I keep going back to this thing you said about how my identity as a gay man was reinforced by my like lack of sexual attraction to women. And it, you didn't have that reinforcement because you were attracted to like all gender identities. Yeah. And so I just, you know, it seemed like a mess that I wanted to avoid. My parents one time, I remember them asking them, them saying, if you were a lesbian, that would be okay, which is a very sweet, amazing thing for my parents to say. But I was like, I'm not. And I wasn't. So I was like, no, I'm not. And I like never opened the conversation again, you know, until I came out later. Even though they gave me like a an inch to come out as a lesbian, it wasn't the same as like giving me base to come out as bi. Or even non-binary. Or even non-binary. I don't know that they fully understand that part yet. But they're trying. My dad, last time they were in New York, they were like, let's go to a gay bar. So they're trying. It's, it was very cute. I mean, I'm proud of my parents for working on their pronouns for my partner because my partner exclusively uses they, them pronouns. For me, if they, them pronouns don't come naturally to someone, it means that they probably still have like a binary way of, of thinking about the world, which is like, fine, that's how I read it now because my bisexuality really helped me kind of understand this like space between, then I was able to apply that to gender. So now I really view my bisexuality as such a gift. With your own gender, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You said you're not questioning it, but you're just, you still have questions about it? I, yeah, I think it changes from day to day. Some days I'm like, I'm non-binary. And then other days I'm like, oh God, I don't deserve this title. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. But I don't think that I know what my gender is. <laughs> so I would say I'm questioning, but I'm also not like really on a quest to like find out. I'm sort of just like content being, like if somebody calls me a woman, I'm like, if I call myself a woman, I'm I'm like annoyed that I couldn't find another term for it because that happens sometimes. But the word woman doesn't affirm me the way that it used to. I wanted you to talk about it because I think it's so interesting to hear somebody who is like actively just like thinking about these things. Yeah. I mean, I think the act of thinking about gender is really a radical act. Like I attended a workshop Beyond the Binary workshop with Erica Hart, who's an amazing racial justice and sex educator. In that workshop, Erica like had us all reflect on like when we knew that we were, what gender we were, and when we knew that 
that was our gender and why. And I was like, I'm a woman and I've always been a woman. And then the last question that was like, why, how do you know? I was like, um, I don't know, because like people told me, like I had no answer, especially knowing that like having a uterus doesn't make you a woman, like the ability to like give birth doesn't make you a woman, you know, like wearing makeup doesn't make you a woman. Like I could no longer find those external things that like defined womanhood. So I was like, what, what is it? I do think too, like it is a radical shift for the whole world that people are growing up and they know that there are other options between yeah. man and woman. We grew up and that was not something we could think about. Yeah. I mean, it was just given to you. You yeah. know, it's just like my partner and I often talk about like how we're going to raise a child and like what pronouns we're going to use. And I mean, I don't have any answers yet. My next book is hopefully going to be about queer parenting. Okay. Um, I'm very early in the like egg freezing process. So I'm giving myself a few years, but I, it's something I'm really interested in. And I I feel finally, I, I didn't want to have children for a very long time. And now I'm like, I really do because I want to like go through this process of like educating a child and like helping a child see the world and like shaping a better future. It feels like the most tangible way to do that. I love that. I think that's a cool place to end the conversation too. Yeah, great. Thank you for this. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. And that was Jen Winston. Once again, their new book is called Greedy and it is out now. And then if you enjoy this podcast, you know it's coming. We ask every week. It's important. If you enjoy this interview, please help us to spread the word to your friends. When you post on social media, when you send an email or text or group chats, these are all the biggest ways you can help our show continue to grow and continue making new episodes every single week. So if you do that, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And if you don't, now is the perfect time to start. We're on social media at LGBTQ pod. I'm on there at Jeff Masters one. We're brought to you by the Advocate Magazine in partnership with Glad. I'm Jeffrey Masters. I will see you next week. Bye.